0: So I would love to encourage you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. Um, Today we are reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 to 20 and 27 to 31. So just as the body, though one has many parts, but... All its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of the one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And on to verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. This is the word of the Lord.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Great. You can grab your seats. Thanks, friends. Thank you, Sinead. Brilliant. How are you all doing this afternoon, church? Great. (laughs) Great. So good. Oh, man. It is cold, isn't it? Yesterday we were at the park together. I'm just trying to affirm my brother, you know, you're not alone. You're in a good place. Um, Yesterday we were at the park, and we had a really good time yesterday, and a little shout out if you came to the park yesterday with us, it was a wonderful time. People brought their dogs, and uh, I was a bit inspired, I was like, you know, I don't have Instagram, you know, because I value my spiritual formation, and I, um, I, no shame, except for with that particular, I'm kidding. So, it made me genuinely consider whether I get Instagram back, right? Like, imagine a, like, dogs of new life Instagram page, yeah, laymen, great. Um, I've got a little announcement. Uh, This Wednesday, we've got our annual general meeting, at which we'll vote on whether we have an Instagram for dogs at New Life, I'm kidding. Um, but this Wednesday, 7pm, our annual general meeting, and this is not a time to sort of, you know, zone out and think, oh, I don't want to participate in that. This is actually a very valuable time for members at New Life Church. Everyone who calls themselves a member at New Life Church, Brisbane, Coolangatta, Rabina, uh, this is your time in the year to gather around and reflect on what God's done. Think about the now, look into the future prayerfully. And vote in the budget and the report that's gone through from last year. And so I would encourage you, if you're a member, um, either come at Rabina or you can go uh, join join in online at church.nu forward slash AGM, get the Zoom details and log in there. Um, But my encouragement would be this. This is a place to lean in and participate, um, that you'd be able to see all that God's done in the last year and look forward together into the future. And so AGM, Wednesday night, 7 p.m., church.nu forward slash AGM. We will maybe vote in whether we get an Instagram for dogs for new life. I've definitely milked that joke too much now. Hey, why don't don't we just pray one more time? Um, I need warming up. We need warming up. And so let's just pray together, shall we? Awesome. Just welcome you here this afternoon, Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't want to play church or muck around. We don't want to go through routine or rhythm for the sake of it. We want to hear from your word, we want to hear your voice. And Lord, we want to change into the image of the Son that you showed us in Jesus. And so, Father, come this afternoon and speak. Would the words that I share that are unhelpful fall away and the words that you want to speak through me just pierce our minds and hearts and transform us into the image of your son for we ask it in his name and all of God's people said, amen, Amen. awesome hey, one of my favourite stories that I like to share, if you've been around me for long enough, you would have heard me share this story, or particularly if you're part of like, you know, our leadership team here at New Life, you would have definitely heard me share this story. I said it to someone on the phone the other night, but it's the story of two labourers. They have the exact same job, do the exact same thing, but they had two very different approaches to what they did. The first labourer, he, he, he didn't like what he did, despised it, found it mundane, The second laborer loved what he did. The first laborer, he only lasted six months in his role. The second laborer lasted 16 years in his role. In fact, he saw the mission through. The first laborer found what he did mundane, but the second laborer found what he did really, really meaningful. And someone asked them both this question, what are you doing? Middle of the work site, middle of the day, what are you doing? And the first one said, I'm laying bricks. And the second one said, I'm building a cathedral. I'm laying bricks. I'm building a cathedral. Same task, very different story. One of the questions that I love asking when it comes to church, and I do this all the time, I'm stupidly reflective, right? I love asking why are we doing what we're doing? And what do we think we're participating in when we come? Not just to a Sunday, but actually to all the rhythms and routines and machinations of the institution that we call church in the modern world. What do we think we're doing? What are we participating in? And our answer to that question has a profound ability to shape whether we engage with it, whether we stay around, stay around long enough through it, what we do in and through it, and what God does and, and sort of makes of it because of our participation in it. Why are we doing what we're doing? And the answer to this question is mission and vision. It's the answer of our church. I wonder, I was kind of reflecting this week like, why am I getting so reflective about this? And um, today's the 12th of June, and actually I did a calculation, I haven't told Kath this, but it was actually the 12th of June last year that Kath and I packed our Yaris up and drove out of Sydney and back up to Brisbane for the role here as pastor, and our role here joint together in doing ministry. And I was like, oh, maybe that's why I'm a bit reflective, but I've been here for a year now, you know, Um, my reign of terror isn't over yet, I'm sorry, but it just made me think, man, what are we doing here, you know? We're in a gap in our preaching calendar at the moment. We just finished last week a series in One John where we unpacked John's first letter and we said God is light and God is love and they're two of the most profound ideas that can shape your life. Um, And next week we're starting a new series in prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We just want to unpack how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But right now we're in what we call a free kick, right? And it's like a preacher's worst nightmare. You know, preach on whatever you want. Are you kidding me? Like, how long do you have? And Um, I was just it was just playing on my heart. What would I speak into as a as a church, you know? We don't want to have back to back sermon series week in, week out, because it'd feel like there's no room to breathe in this sense of sure, we wanna know what God speaks to us through particular series, but we we actually want to punctuate our time as a as a community and, and see how God might speak to us just pastorally. And so I was praying about service and I was praying about the local church. And one thing I realized is actually for a lot of us, we don't really have a theological framework for what it means to serve sometimes, and the beauty of what that looks like and how that eventuates and works in our, works and our life. Um, and so today I thought we might just gather around that as a topic for our afternoon. Um, and so got three things for us today, just to boil it all down, three things. To answer the question why we do what we do, we need to know, one, a mission that moves, two, that there's a part for us to play, and three, there's a heart for service. A mission that moves, a part to play, and a heart for God. And so one, a mission that moves. Um, You might feel this to be true, and if you lead an organization, you definitely feel this to be true, but every organization, and every individual needs a mission statement, needs a why behind the what that they do. Because the bottom line is, all of us have a bunch of what's in our life, you know? whether it's our personal routines, or our business routines, or our organisational practices. We've all got a bunch of what's that we need to do, and let's be honest, they can be kind of tiring, right? There's a bunch of stuff that makes up our lives from the moment we wake to the moment we sleep, and the question behind it is all, well why? Why do we do what we do as an individual and an organization? And you'll be surprised, I don't know if you know this, but you'll be surprised at the kinds of what's you can put yourself through if you've got a why that's catalyzing, like it's mind-blowing. The kinds of things that people will do, they'll spend of their time, they'll spend of their resources, they'll spend of their very selves, they'll do crazy things if the why they have is worth it and it's clearly articulated so it moves you. Every organization and every individual needs a why behind their what. And so I thought this afternoon we could just do a bit of like floor work. You know, I show you a mission statement from a random organization, you try and guess what the organization is. So I've got one for us behind me on the screen here. Um, now let's just go to the floor for this one, right? Um, this is a mission statement from an incredible company. I'm not going to tell you much about that company, but the mission statement is this to unlock the potential of human creativity. Does anyone know what mission statement that is? Apple. Good guess. Not quite. Anyone else? <laughs> Sorry? Adobe. Adobe. Oh, great guess, but no. One more. Google. Okay, great guess, but no. It's, um, it's creative, it's musical. Spotify. Spotify. Bang. Crushed it. There it is, Spotify. That was really good. Okay, we could do another one. we got one more. What about this one? Now, when, you, when I read this one, it looks like the English isn't perfect, but this is literally their statement, which might give you a hint as to the fact that they're probably not you know, English-first language. So, don't read into that statement. So, to create better everyday life for the many people. To create better everyday life for the many people. Any, any guesses? LG, it's LG. a good guess, not quite. Any other guesses? I'm gonna tell you, it's IKEA. Oh. Makes sense, right? Makes sense, really helpful. Who agrees that IKEA is delivering on their mission statement? Yes. And then five years into the product purchase, you would disagree. Awesome. OK, last one. This one is a no-brainer, in my opinion. Uh, To organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Google. Google. Well done. Give yourselves a round of applause. Good participation. I love it. But these companies, these are multi-billion dollar companies. They're incredibly scalable, and they've, they've risen to the top. And I've recently been reading a leadership book by Jim Collins, and um, I can't actually implement any of his practices. I'm terrible, but um, it was a joke. And, but Collins, he zooms in on these organisations, and he looks at actually some of the key ingredients behind their sort of rising to success. And one of the key things that any leadership guru will say is you need a mission, you need a vision, you need a why behind your what. Right? And my job as the pastor of this church is actually to guard our why, in a sense. It's to guard our why, to articulate our why. Why are we here? What are we doing? You come to church week in, week out. I've got some stats from the annual report. just as a bit of a sneak preview that I thought I might read to us. Um, because you, you read this stuff and you think, man, that's a lot of stuff. But let me just read it to us. You know, last year, we made approximately 12,000 meals for people doing it tough in our city. Isn't that awesome? Beautiful. Incredible. A lot of work, though. Last year, we went through, on average, 1,500 of these holy little communion elements. Fun stat. Last year, we spent around 250 hours bumping in and out of this church building. Hashtag, church plan of life. There it is. And those on the creative team and host team are just like, I'm exhausted, Alex. I'm done. <laughs> but why? Why? What are we a part of? What are we participating in? Why are we here? Let me read 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 and 28. Paul says this. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Let me just read that again, verse 27. You are the body of Christ, And each one of you is a part of it. And then Paul goes on in verse 28 and says, and God is placed in the church, and then he lists out a bunch of gifts and um, roles that the Spirit enables in the church, both then and today we would believe as a church. And he goes on to use two words. Two words that I've highlighted here that on one level is the most profound of metaphors and the most powerful words that you could use to describe what we are participating in. And I want us to sit here for a moment this afternoon because this is the mission that moves us. Two words. Word number one is church, end of verse 28, and word number two is body. Now the really unhelpful thing about the word church And some of you will know if you've studied Greek and the original languages, right, is that the word church is actually not a helpful translation of the original term that the New Testament writers used to describe what God had created out of followers of Jesus, right? Not a helpful term. To give you a bit of the history of it, if we go to the next slide, um, when we think of church right now, we think of like an institution or a building, And the reason we do that is because we get the English word church from the German word kirsch. And the German word kirsch doesn't refer to a gathering of people, it actually refers to a building or in German sort of lingo and sort of worldview, the house of God. It's more of a temple actually. Um, And they got the German word kirsch from the Latin word basilica. Uh, And so if you go to say Italy or Rome, you see St. Peter's Basilica, which is just a fancy way of referring to St. Peter's church, i.e. St. Peter's building. And likewise, they got that word as a transliteration from the Greek term, a bunch of words here, but ekklesia. Now, the difficulty is here, is that church is a terrible translation of ekklesia. In fact, it's a substitution. It's been superimposed on the original term and the meaning behind it when the New Testament writers say God has created something in Jesus. In the Greek, ekklesia comes from a verb, kaleo. And kaleo just means I call out. I call out. And so, when you get the word church from ecclesia, ecclesia in its original context simply means the called out ones. Those that have been called out with a particular purpose from a particular background. Which means when you think of the church and you think of yourself and you think of what you're participating in, you're participating in the called out ones. Now, the question is, for what? And this is why Paul's really helpful because his answer is the body of Jesus Christ. And that's missional language. That's not just a nice metaphor that makes us feel good. That's just not a nice sort of way by which to make sense of diversity and unity. That is the mission of God in the world, that Christ wants to work through us for the sake of this world, for his glory, for the blessing and redemption and the beauty of, that's, that's our mission. This is what it means to be the church, to be called out once, to be found from darkness, welcomed into light, walked from blind, now to being able to see, all because of what Jesus has done. I've quoted Teresa of Avila before. She's a saint from a few, um, few centuries ago. And she said it like this. She says, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world, and yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses the world. This is our why. And I just wanna ask us this afternoon, do you know it? Like when you picture yourself coming to this building this afternoon, did you describe the building as church or your very self as the church? when you sort of got in the car and made your way through King George Square car park or maybe you're one of the blessed anointed ones to get a car park on the street and and you're walking into church, where is your imagination at? Like what are we doing here, you know what I'm saying? What are we participating in? And this this is it, it's the called out ones. It's the called out ones with the mission that God's given us to be his hands and his feet to the world. And it actually starts in this gathering. It doesn't stop here. This isn't sort of like a hiatus from our role as the church. This is part of our role as the church. Now, our vision as a church is simply this, more people, more like Jesus. Like, that gets me out of bed every day. I want to see more people. In other words, I I want this church to grow. Like, could you imagine, let's just imagine for a second, and this isn't me just being like church growth model or anything at all. This is just me stirring our hearts a bit to imagine what God could do. Imagine these rafters packed with people that ten, like, sort of 10 months ago didn't know who Jesus was. And now, not because we poached them from other churches, but because God did an amazing work by the Spirit of God and through the power of His people, that these rafters were just filled with those that don't know God. Could you imagine that? Just imagine what that was like. How would that change the way you came to church? What would you be looking out for as you walked into this building? Maybe not the friends that you feel comfortable with, but the newcomer who needs a smile. You know what I mean? Like, just imagine for a second, if we got this mission, more people. We wanna see more people. But it's not just a breadth thing, it's a depth thing, right? Like, evangelism without discipleship, it just, it's like a flash in the fry pan. We actually want to go deeper, which is an invitation to all of us. Like, I'm pretty sure most of us here are Christians walking the discipleship journey of faith, what the Uniting Church calls a pilgrim people. Beautiful language. We want to go deeper with God. And what would that mean for each of us here? Well, it would just mean that we wouldn't settle, like we wouldn't settle with waking up and not being okay to read the scriptures or trying to go deep with God in prayer or joining with brothers and sisters in worship. Like we just wouldn't settle to sort of push that off to the side, you know what I'm saying? Now as I say this, right, hear this. If this is your first time with us at church, this is just like zero guilt trip, zero shame. It's actually more invitation because the question is why? Like why? Why are we here? What are we participating in? And if we got it, how would that change the way we engaged in? Now today, I just want to use two big, big words because I think there's some cultural factors in play that'll stop us from participating in this way, being moved by this mission. And the two words are this, individualism and consumerism. Individualism, just as a definition point, right, individualism purely says that I prioritize the individual over the community. And consumerism says that I prioritize what I can get over what I can give. And these two cultural forces have been at play ever since sort of the West was born and individualism sort of stuck the waters in which we swim. And if you let individualism and consumerism shape you and you walk into church as a Christian, it means you sit in these pews and you wonder, man, what can I get out of today's service? What can I take? What, what can I walk away with? And on one level, there's something good about that because it prioritises the fact that we need to be fed as Christians. We actually wanna be shaped by the scriptures and there's a responsibility that different people have in this church to deliver something that will actually grow us. But we're all the church, you know? We're all the church. And just imagine what would happen if we let the mission move us all. I love what um, J.D. Greer says, sort of church planter extraordinaire. He wrote a book called Gaining by Losing and he said the church is not, an audience to be entertained, but an army to be mobilized. Church, do we know the mission that moves us this afternoon? Do we find ourselves as part of the army that God's mobilized? Do you know your why? And if you do, it'll change the way you engage it. Do you guys just mind if I, I don't usually do this, but just sort of preach for a moment, right? You're like, what have I been doing? (laughs) Great question. It's been a year since Kath and I rolled back back up north out of Sydney and we loved Sydney, you know? It was such a good time for us, our relationship, our friendships, our just rest after our time in the UK. And We've been here a year now and I was driving to church this afternoon and I was like, man, it's such a privilege to be the pastor of this church because I think we do get our why, you know? Like, I think we really do. But I felt God just say to me as I was prepping this week, God's not done yet. You know what I mean? Like, just take a moment. This could get awkward and probably already is, but just take a look around you. Someone said to me recently, they visited from Rabina, um, and they said, man, there's a bunch of new faces in the room. I said, yeah, that's right. Do we feel like family yet? Maybe not. Are we going to be? Man, I hope so. Where's it start? every one of us God's not done yet you think like uh, ecclesia called out people we have a mission we have a vocation A lot of people critique the church for being this static group of people with no sort of agenda. It's just not true. The church isn't static, it's dynamic. It's not passive, it's active. It's actually not about coming to spectate, it's about coming to contribute, not just in the gathering but through the week, so we might be the people of God and more people might be more like Jesus. It's about ownership, not viewership in the church of Jesus Christ. Gathering, not a building. Because here's the bottom line, Andy Stanley says it like this, you can lock up a building, but you can't lock up the called out people of God. You just can't. It's not part of our makeup. You can consume a service, but you can't consume a movement. Do you know the mission that moves us this afternoon? It's the Great Commission. It's being the body of Jesus Christ to the world. It's, I just keep quoting all the guys I like, but I'm sorry. <laughs> My favorite New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, just says, at the intersection Between the love of God and the pain of the world, there is the vocation of the church, my friends. Do you know that vocation this afternoon? Are you stepping into that vocation this afternoon? Not just when you gather, but when you scatter, because it's all relevant as we be the body of Jesus to the world. We need a mission that moves. Second, we need a part to play. Let me read 1 Corinthians 12, 17 to 20. Paul says it like this. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every single one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts and one body. And then later again, verse 28, he starts to describe gifts, which is just helpful to understand. And I just want to say something really simple here because there's a principle behind what Paul says that's applicable to us today. And Paul says this, that on one level, we value unity because there's a mission to which we're all called. And if we all get that mission and follow after that mission and the calling that it invites us into, we realize that we actually don't have to be all the same thing along the way. That in other words, for something to be unified, It doesn't require every single part that we play to be uniform, but actually diverse, which means Paul here is talking about the gifts that we bring. Now, interesting about this passage is Paul's writing, particularly to the gathered church, so he's got an audience that's listening to this letter right now. So they're not thinking midweek missions or how to be like Jesus and marry together work and faith. He's actually talking about house churches and what they bring to their gatherings week in, week out, all the time, which is interesting because we wanna say, oh, some people have these gifts to think about how they sort of impact their workplace and that's all good. We did a series on work and faith last year where four marrying together work and faith. But Paul here, he talks about the gathered body and he says, you've all got gifts. You've all got things to bring. Don't disqualify yourself from being who God's made you to be for the blessing and building up of the church. Use your gift. You don't all have to be preachers. You don't all have to be singers. You don't all have to be people that stand on the door and welcome others with the hospitality and kindness of Jesus. But some of us need to be. Some of us need to be. You don't need to be uniform to be united. Actually bring all your gifts and the diversity of who you are. Now, um, so here's the question, and this is, this is kind of a hard question, actually, to ask. Are you playing a part? The um, 10,000 quotes come to mind. I'll skip them. <laughs> I think one of the reasons that some of us... Um, find it hard to play our part at church sometimes is there could be a myriad of reasons and actually for most of us in the room this is just not an issue at all in fact sometimes some of us just do way too much and um, I talk with those people and say can I pray for you (laughs) but sometimes we disqualify ourselves I think because we sort of over spiritualize gifts and we undersell mission Um, And I just wanted to really gently lean in this afternoon and just share what my framework is for serving, which I think will make sense of a lot of what most of us in the room do every Sunday and throughout the week, but also too might just give us a framework that'll propel others of us to think through, man, how can I play my part? How can I be part of Jesus Christ's hands and feet in the world, particularly on Sundays? And it's just this, that um, I think when you serve in mission at the local church, there's sort of two ends of the spectrum, both of which are valid, that there's duty on one hand and who knows what duty feels like when it comes to volunteering at church? Anyone? Just me, awesome. And then there's delight. And you, you're, you're, you're keen to do duty, dutiful serving at a local church because you're given to the mission. You know what I mean? Like if the mission is so great that it can't happen through a few select individuals, then man, I'm, I gotta get on board no matter what it looks like because this mission's way too important, the stakes are way too high. But I think most of us think through sort of serving you know, in the local church purely as delight. It's like, well, what are my giftings? And, you know, and so it's like, hey, we've got this spot that's opened up. There's a need. It's really concrete. Can you fill it? Oh, it's just not my gifting. you know. And we sort of over gifting and undersell mission. But here's what I want to say, actually, that I've done both all the time throughout my life at church, and it's beautiful. You know what I mean? Um, so let me give you an example. Think of like, I think of Red Frogs, the ministry. Has anyone here done Red Frogs? And everyone I talk to that's done Red Frogs loves Red Frogs, but if you talk through the concrete acts of what you do as a Red Frogger, horrible, absolutely horrible. Like if you're a morning person, you stay up late at night, you have to go into hotel rooms filled with people you don't know, and you have to make friends with strangers. If you're an introvert, no dice, no good, right? The activities of that role, it's dutiful, but why do you do it? Because Andy Goulet says this, to save a generation, you have to serve a generation. The mission is way too important for us to get on our high horse about the gifts we have and whether that means we're available for a particular part of service. Or you think of just your life in a family at home, right? Like, you know, Kath and I, we've always got dishes that need washing. And if Kath were to say to me, honey, can you wash the dishes? And I was like, it's just not my gifting. (laughs) How would that fly? She'd be like, well, you better make it your gifting. You know what I'm saying? But here's the point man, I love our mission. Man, I love our vision as a church. And my invitation for us this afternoon is, man, on one level, I want to hear what your giftings are. We want to know what your giftings are. The church needs to know what your giftings are. Please use them. We're actually lesser off without them. But I was chatting with some people last week and we were talking about some needs in our community which I'll towards the end of our time and they just said, man, I just didn't know those needs were there. I want to fill that. The mission's way too important to leave that alone. And so can I just invite us, man, Do you know your part to play? Do you know there are parts to play? There will never not be parts to play, why? Because even if we get good at what our needs are currently, that doesn't mean God doesn't have more for us. Like just think, right now we've got like, you know, I could get really practical with this because I just know the machinations of our church, right? But you just think, man, like imagine if our host team, for example, wasn't three strong but 20 strong on a Sunday. Could you imagine what like welcome we'd be able to offer to people that were in in our city? Rather than playing the defense and welcoming those that come in, we'd be on the offense and out in King George Square offering tea and coffee and just giving the hospitality of Jesus to those that just have no idea who Jesus is. And so my invitation for us this afternoon is, man, let's not get happy with where we're at. God's got more for us, and it's going to require all of us to play our... Part. In the 20th century, there was a space race to see who would be the first nation to land on the moon, and we all know who got there first, right? The Americans, and obviously there's some conspiracy theory around whether they actually got there, and, and I don't care for any of that stuff, but imagine, they get there first, right? And all, everyone knows the person who landed on the moon, Neil Armstrong, right? And then Christian preachers love pulling out the fact that the second guy that made it to the moon was a guy named Buzz Aldrin, and we know this? Yeah, sweet, and they're like, he had communion on the moon, and it was amazing, and therefore God's real, and it's like, I don't know if that's an argument for God's existence, but it's very encouraging. (laughs) But not many people know this, right? There was a third person that was part of the fleet. Two people went down in, I think it was called the, the lunar module, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, and they pirouetted down towards the surface, spent 24 hours plus on the surface. Man reaches moon, huge day for humanity or I butchered the quote, doesn't matter. (laughs) Ruth is not stoked with it. (laughs) It does matter. (laughs) There was a third person, Michael Collins. And while the two jumped into the lunar module and pirouetted their way down to the surface to be the ones that landed on the moon, Michael Collins stayed back in the other module to ensure that everything happened according to plan and they come back down to Earth after their time on the moon, they carried away 25 kilograms of soil from the surface and they come back down to the Earth's surface, they're all being interviewed and wouldn't it have been a shame if Michael Collins said, oh man, I wish I was on the moon, you know? I just wish. He didn't. He just said, man, I was glad to play a part. We made it to the moon. Do you know the part you could play here at New Life Brisbane? We need you. The mission's too important. There's so much that the Lord wants to do. Do you know the part to play? Sometimes we serve out of duty because the mission's too important. Sometimes we serve out of delight because God grows us and allows us to share our gifts with the church that he's called us to. Last, we need a heart for service. And I just want to read from Colossians 3, verse 17. Paul says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And just as I unpack this, I'd love to invite the band up. Um, I'm gonna skip through this last point a little bit, but last year I was reading a book by a guy named Scott McKnight, and um, he sort of takes to task, in a sense megachurches actually, for asking people to do things which in a sense feel meaningless and exploiting what we call church volunteerism, or in other words, you know, asking people to do more than actually is reasonably expected for like a volunteer organization. And I just want to really gently lean in this afternoon and say, we're just not on about that. Scott McKnight, the guy who wrote the book, he called it institutional creep. And it's the sense that, man, we're just gonna break our backs because this thing, this institution is without failure, flawless, beautiful, immutable, unchanged. Like we're just, gonna, we're just gonna do what we can to make sure this, this institution survives and grows and gets big. And I just wanna say as the pastor, man, new life can be around for five years or 10 years. It doesn't matter. Like it actually doesn't matter. God might have different callings for each of us, different appointments for each of us, and that's great. I do not wed myself to this institution. None of us should, but we're here. And the calling of a Christian is to find themselves serving in a local body of people. And so, the question I just ask us when we think about serving in the local church through duty or delight, with our giftings or with our mission focus, here's the thing I'd invite us to consider serve God. Sure, you will outwork that amidst this very local people, but have a heart for God. Like God's the one we serve, not humans. We serve alongside humans. But God is the one that we worship, that we adore, that we give our work and our volunteering and our time and our efforts to. It's God, it's no one else. And I think we've lost this in the West because I think we've grown a bit disenchanted with big churches, you know? Pastor Michael always says, you know, new life as a church is sort of filled with risky Presbyterians and um, I can't remember the other word, but... I need to actually read it because I feel like I'm just doing Presbyterians a disservice. What does he say? Oh, I didn't write it down. (laughs) Yes, recovering Pentecostals. And what he means by that is all of us here have a pain. Like so many of us here with a church background actually have a bit of a pain that we carry. I just want to ask us, don't let the pain of what we've experienced rob us of the beauty to what god's inviting us as the local church now hear me when i say this man that pain needs to be pastored and loved and given space and refreshment to grieve and grow and heal but man what could god do if all of us played our part where would we be in a year five years ten years time who would be among us that we didn't previously know who would be brought from death life don't let the pain of what we experienced in the past rob us from the invitation that we have right now Charles Spurgeon put it like this he said one of the greatest rewards that we ever receive for serving God is the permission to do still more for him and I just want to invite us into that posture right now do you know the sweetness of serving God Like, it's an adventure. It's one of the sweetest things. Whether in the mundane and the dutiful or the miraculous and the thing that's tied to my gift, actually to have this sense that God, the creator of the universe, would use me to play a part in his mission. It's one of the most exhilarating things in the world. It's why I'm a pastor. I wanna do that full time, you know? We can all do it full time. There's a bunch of qualifiers I'd say there about marrying together faith and work. But here's my point do you know the sweetness of serving God? Let's let it erupt in us, flow through us for our good, God's glory, and the sake of the world. We need a mission that moves us, a part to play, and a heart for service and for God. Can I invite us to stand, friends? Just in response, God started doing something here two, three weeks ago where we invited people to just expect to hear from him in prayer. Sounds revolutionary, actually just really simple. We call it New Testament Christianity. And floods of people came forward for prayer. And it's actually our job to steward that move of God and to come hungry into worship and expect to hear from Him again and again and again. And so we just wanted to make room for that again this afternoon and spent a lot of time here just talking about gifts. And the question I'd ask us all is: Do you know what your gift is? Has God ever spoken to you about that? Has God ever revealed that to you? And we just wanted to make room this afternoon to invite people just to receive prayer that God might speak to them about the gifts that they've got and how he wants to use them, not just here, but in their workplaces, in their families, in their homes. And so there's going to be some people dotted around the room, hopefully some at the back, myself down the front here, Kath and I will um, jump up for this one and um, perhaps Aaron too and Dace, if that's okay. Um, We're going to have a white lanyard around around our neck. And if you'd love to receive prayer, just asking God, man, what are my gifts? Then I just encourage you, come and receive prayer. Uh, And if those that are involved in the prayer team could just prepare themselves for that, that'd be absolutely wonderful. The second thing is I just wanted to let you know about some needs in the community. And rather than me rattling off in our response time about what they are, I just want to let you know that there's some things happening after church this afternoon. There's going to be people in some orange shirts and some black shirts, representing our Kids Life team and our host team. And these are two areas in our church that actually there's some really concrete need at the moment. And we want to grow this, not so we just have a more comfortable experience, but actually so the mission would multiply in our place. And so I'd encourage you if you want to take next steps, particularly what it looks like welcoming those that have like might be first timers here, or serving with our kids ministry and loving on young people, then I'd encourage you, just go chat with people. Host team will be in the orange shirts. Sorry, other way around. Kids life team will be in the orange shirts. Up the back inside this room uh, and host team will be in the black shirts. But can I encourage you this afternoon? Why don't you come forward for prayer? See what God might do. And just as we close, let me close by just praying for us. And I just encourage you if, if something resonated, just open up your hands, close your eyes. And just be asking God, what of what it was just said could be for me? Father, we thank you for the mission of your church. We thank you that you've called us out, you've not left us in darkness. You've not left us without purpose. You've actually given us a vocation and a meaning and a mission and a why. And so, Lord, we as your people, just submit to that why this afternoon, this call to make disciples, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to outwork the great commission, to be what you've asked us to be, God. And so we just ask, God, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Do a work in us, we pray. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.